From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. For nearly two hours last week, protesters shut down traffic in Salt Lake City by marching in the streets in support of Palestine. Duck Thurgood, with our partners at Utah Public Radio, was there and has this report. Drivers honked and police eventually blocked off the surrounding streets entirely. But protesters persisted because, as their largest sign proclaimed, there should be no business as usual during a genocide. Since October, it's estimated that more than 25,000 Palestinians have been killed, according to the AP, with more likely unreported. About two-thirds of those deaths are women and children. Protests have gone on worldwide against what many have called a genocide against the Palestinian people. This specific protest was sparked after Israel began bombing the city of Rafah, an area currently home to 1.5 million displaced Palestinians. Rafah is the furthest southern city in Gaza, and since Israeli forces have been pushing civilians southward, speakers at the protest said this leaves civilians with no option for evacuation from the bombings. There's nowhere left for the people of Gaza to go. No more roads to take, no more hospitals for the uncountable wounded. Almost no members of the press left to document what's happening. No aid coming in, no food, no water. We have to act now to shut it down. Protesters demanded a ceasefire in Gaza, an end to the U.S.'s funding of Israel's war efforts with tax dollars, and the liberation of Palestine. They also criticized Utah for making drones and surveillance technology used by Israel. Muna Omar, a Palestinian and one of the organizers of the event, also encouraged people to learn about Palestine's history and culture and to keep having hard conversations about what's happening in Gaza and Palestine. This is really a litmus test for our morality and for our generation. You have to stand for what's right. Protesters plan to keep shutting it down every week until Palestine is free. I'm Duck Thurgood. Federal officials denied hydroelectric projects last week in Black Mesa in northeast Arizona. Tribal officials are praising the federal government's decision. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Clark Adamitis has more. Tribal officials and environmental justice groups have been opposing three hydroelectric pumps in the Black Mesa region for over a year, saying the project would deplete already small groundwater reserves. The communities on the high plateau rely on aquifers that are two to 3,000 feet below the ground for drinking water. Today, we don't even see the springs and the seeps anymore on Black Mesa. Nicole Horseherder, executive director of the Navajo nonprofit Tuan Naja Ane, says that for 50 years, coal mining projects have used billions of gallons of groundwater in Black Mesa. In a place that gets less than eight inches of rainfall a year, we're almost 100% dependent on these groundwater sources. When industry comes in and taps into the same groundwater sources, there's just no way that you're not going to make an impact on municipal and residential water uses. Horse Herder praises the federal agencies for considering the tribal community's position. Federal commissioners also announced a new policy of not allowing projects on tribal lands that don't have tribal support. I'm Clark Adamitis. Federal water managers proposed a new water release plan to help threatened native fish in the Grand Canyon. But as Alex Hager with our partners at KUNC reports, conservation groups say the plan needs to go further. 
It all has to do with dropping water levels in Lake Powell, the nation's second-largest reservoir. They're so low that non-native smallmouth bass are passing through the dam and eating native humpback chub on the other side. Taylor McKinnon with the Center for Biological Diversity says physical changes need to be made to the dam. The Bureau of Reclamation has lots of very smart engineers on staff, and the fact that they have not figured out how to do this today shows that they have not made it a priority. McKinnon says that's a reflection of the federal government's inability to keep up with the impacts of climate change, which is the major driver of dropping water levels in Lake Powell. I'm Alex Hager. Great Salt Lake is often compared to a lake in Central Asia, the Aral Sea. Back in the 80s, the Aral Sea dried up so much, it caused toxic dust storms, a problem Utah also faces. But the Aral Sea offers a potential solution for how to save a shrinking lake. Reporter Levi Bridges visited Kazakhstan for our partners at KUER and the Great Salt Lake Collaborative. The Aral Sea was once the world's fourth largest lake. But starting in the 1960s, when Kazakhstan was part of the Soviet Union, authorities diverted the lake's main tributaries for agriculture. They used so much water, it's estimated the lake shrunk to about a tenth of its size. The harbor in the former Kazakh port town of Aral is now a beige desert with spindly bushes. Camels often roam here. Standing on the old waterfront, Akshabak Batimova shows me abandoned buildings that used to be fish processing plants. She grew up here and has been a director of one of these facilities. The Aral Sea was a freshwater lake, but as the water disappeared, it became saline. Fish could no longer survive. Sitting in a nearby cafe, Batimova tells me the fishing industry went bust in the 90s. There was no work at all. People just sat at home or moved elsewhere. Nobody painted their houses. I struggled just to clothe my kids or pay the electric bill. Those were difficult times. A little over a decade later, the Kazakh government launched an ambitious plan to save the lake. Driving out through the desert, I arrive at a dam Kazakhstan built that slices the lake in two. It's much smaller than I thought. This dam cuts across a narrow section of the lake, and it allows a huge tributary to fill a much smaller part of the lake's basin, where most Kazakhs live. On the dam's northern side, water laps against the concrete. The other side of the lake is almost bone dry. Because of the dam, the lake's northern side rose high enough the water turned fresh again, and the fish even returned. Akshabak Batimova says the dam saved communities here. Fishermen went back to work and they became millionaires. Many built new houses and bought cars. Fishermen here used to ride camels, but now they drive jeeps. In Utah, scientists and resource managers are trying something similar as the Great Salt Lake struggles with record low levels. Bonnie Baxter is director of the Great Salt Lake Institute and a member of the state's Great Salt Lake Salinity Advisory Committee. If we can't get more water to the lake, sacrificing part of the lake is one of the proposals on the table. It's a relatively easy solution for Utah because there's a railroad causeway that already divides the lake. It cuts off the northwest corner where there's no water coming in. In 2022, 
Great Salt Lake became so salty, scientists worried the entire ecosystem could collapse. So they filled a breach in the causeway, which made it easier to manage the lake's southern section. That helped save brine flies and brine shrimp, and the entire food web for migrating birds. It's kind of nice that we have this management tool that's frankly very inexpensive. I mean, it's a backhoe and some rocks to seal off this hole in the causeway. It's super cheap engineering. But Baxter says even with a barrier, you need a long-term strategy to make sure enough water reaches the lake each year that isn't diverted by agriculture and development. Kazakhstan does not have a clear strategy. The Aral Sea's tributaries flow through six different countries that rely on the water. This year, Kazakhstan received so little from upstream that fish are having trouble spawning, so the population is dying off. A success story is turning into a new disaster. We actually can use the Aral Sea as an example of where we don't want to go. They cut off part of the lake, but did it without the kind of coordination we have in the state of Utah. In Kazakhstan, that lack of coordination between international stakeholders plays out on a long, sandy beach. Fishermen here have to push their boats through the muck about a quarter mile before it's deep enough to fire up the engine. Local fisherman Darhan Yembergenov says lots of people are giving up on fishing and moving elsewhere. I don't want to move anywhere. This is where I was born. And where am I supposed to go anyway? Salt Lake City. <laughs> Salt Lake City? There's no water there either. For KUER and the Great Salt Lake Collaborative, I'm Levi Bridges in Aral, Kazakhstan. This story comes to us from our partners at KUER. You've been listening to KZMU News, grassroots community-powered journalism weekdays on the airwaves at noon and 6 p.m. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.